Beyond the Paper Gown inspires, informs, and empowers women with the latest information about our health and healthcare choices. Join in for provocative conversations with scientists, clinicians, policymakers, and innovators. Beyond the Paper Gown is hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, internal medicine specialist and women's health advocate. The following information is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. This information is not intended as a substitute for professional therapy or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. If you're over the age of 35, you are losing bone mass as we speak. That's important because this loss of bone mass and density can lead to osteoporosis, which puts us at risk for fractures of the hip, spine, and other bones. 80% of people with osteoporosis are women. One in two women and up to one in four men over the age of 50 will break a bone due to osteoporosis. Well, today's guest is CEO of a company that wants to prevent these fractures by slowing that bone loss process. A few disclaimers before we get started. I do have an investment in this company, Bone Health Technologies, and the device we will be talking about is not yet FDA approved, though as you'll hear, it is well on its way. I wanted to introduce you to this company and its CEO because it's a great example of a company with a committed leader that has identified an important women's health problem and created an innovative solution to address it. Today's guest is Laura Yeesees. Laura is the CEO of Bone Health Technologies. Welcome, Laura. Thanks, Mitzi. Really happy to be here. Thank you. So we're going to talk about an issue that impacts on both men and women, but women primarily, and also something that I think some people are struggling with, but some people may be about to struggle with and don't even know it. So your device impacts on all of that. So I'm so happy to talk about that device, which is called OsteoBoost. But before we get started with that, tell us a little bit about what the problem is and why OsteoBoost was devised. Yeah, so the motivation for the design and development of OsteoBoost is the fact that we have literally an epidemic of low bone density. It's one of the most important unsolved public health conditions that we're facing as a society. Uh, in the U.S. today, there's over 60 million Americans with low bone density, either osteopenia, the early stages of low bone density, or full-on osteoporosis. And all of these individuals are at elevated risk of fracture. These fractures are very common. Half of all women will have a fracture from osteoporosis and a quarter of men. Um, and, and fractures are, can be devastating. 25% of people who have a hip fracture don't survive a year and half of them lose their independence. So really important problem, very significant unmet need. And then, you know, the question is, why aren't there more solutions? And it turns out that pharmacologically, it just seems to be a very difficult problem to solve in a completely safe way. And so there have been medications for osteoporosis for you know, 20 or 30 years. Um, they have a relatively low utilization rate, which is its own problem. Um, but more importantly, their side effect profile is such that they are not typically recommended early on in the course of the disease. So they're not typically used during the osteopenia stage. And so we don't have the equivalent of like a statin or beta blocker where when you're 
identified in your 30s or 40s or even 50s with risk factors that you can take this you know, highly safe and effective medicine to head off the problem later. So this is, you know, what we observed. And, you know, then the question is, what other kinds of options are there? Hopefully the, the pharmaceutical companies will continue to, to do research, but there are no new compounds in, in late stage trials. So I think, you know, the device world is really an interesting way to try to solve this problem. So full disclosure, I have osteopenia. And osteopenia is a loss of bone mineral density that weakens bones. It has no signs or symptoms. And in fact, I found out about it because of undergoing a bone mineral density test or DEXA scan, which x-rays key bones that are at risk for fracture. We'll talk more about DEXA later in the podcast. The difference between osteopenia and osteoporosis is basically a matter of degree. Osteopenia may progress to osteoporosis. I was reluctant to begin medication at this early stage, and I did a lot of research on my own, but it was a chance meeting that provided a potential alternative. When I looked at the literature and knowing that from my clinical practice, I wasn't ready to get on medication um, because of the the kinds of things that you just talked about. Plus, um, in some of the medications, it showed that fracture could happen in places that were not the usual places. And there weren't a lot of other options, as you said, available. My own physician really didn't know what to do, left it up to me. And so I was, you know, again, looking and I met the founder of uh, Bone Health Technologies, Dan Burnett, um, a couple of years before you and I met, and was very excited to hear about something that I could do in addition to, and we can talk about this later, um, maybe some diet and exercise strength training and, and all of that. And um, so, again, that was what uh, made me uh, very interested in this product. Um, so talk a little bit about what OsteoBoost is and, and how it works. Yeah. So in summary, it is a um, product that's a belt. Uh, it's a wearable technology. Um, it feels very comfortable. People generally, you know, find it easy to use. And there's a pack that's integrated in the belt that applies uh, low frequency vibration to the sacrum, which provides mechanical stimulation to the hips and lumbar spine, which are areas of the body that are at particular risk of fracture and where the fractures are, you know, very, very impactful on people's life. So, um, then the next question, of course, is, okay, well, why does this work, right? What is the theory behind it? Um, you know, I think people are rightfully can be a bit skeptical about vibration, as I was when I joined the company. Um, so, you know, I dove deep into the science and the research and the literature. And there is a body of evidence um, at the cellular level in animals on using vibration uh, to stimulate uh, bone density and to improve bone growth. And, you know, that has been around for a long time. And then, um, you know, about, I don't know, 25 or 30 years ago, NASA started to do a lot of research around this bone density issue. So the average postmenopausal woman loses 2 to 3% of her bone density per year. Astronauts in space lose that much bone density per month. And why mm-hmm. is that? It's because they're not um, 
getting the stimulation, they're not getting the force on their bones. And so when they looked into ways to address this, uh, uh, partnering with a scientist called uh, Clint Rubin, they researched using whole body vibration. So it's essentially a platform that you stand on and they tried different you know, frequencies and amplitudes of vibration and they came up with a formula that was proven effective and safe. There are a number of peer-reviewed papers that have been published on this, uh, including prestigious journals like Nature. And they showed that those who complied with the treatment, and it needs to be done frequently, um, as close to daily as possible, had improvements in bone density. So then you might say, well, okay, well, where, you know, why aren't these widely available in the market? Um, you know, what has prevented this from being kind of a standard of care? Um, and it's not the science, the science is good, but there were a couple of practical problems. One is that the good quality vibration platforms are pretty expensive, so thousands of dollars. But more importantly, you have to use them very um, in a very specific way. You have to stand with your knees locked because our knees are natural shock absorbers. And you have to sort of stand there and do nothing. And um, it turns out that in the real world, once you got beyond the astronauts who are quite unique in their ability to comply with treatments, um, <laughs> the effectiveness wasn't that great uh, or was inconsistent. And so they have not been a big commercial success, although the science is good. So fast forward, uh, the inventor um, who partnered with Dan Burnett, who you know, you've met, Dr. Shay Mangrum, he's a PM&R doc, a physiatrist, uh, focused on Which spine. means physical he, medicine rehab, just for our, right. our listeners. And he um, was just seeing all these vertebral fractures and a lot of patients just in terrible pain, really losing a lot of you know their uh, comfort and health and activity. And he was very motivated to find a way to solve this. And he saw the research on whole body vibration and saw the challenges around compliance and had the idea of, okay, how can we solve this? And by the way, uh, they tried a number of different modalities and finally came up with this, the concept of the belt and then did early prototyping, saw that it did provide um, vibration to the skeleton. Um, I think Dr. Mangrum like put even probes in down to the hip bone to, to measure. Oh, so it was uh, very, you know, very much hands-on in the lab. And then we were fortunate to get um, a, a modest grant from the NIH to do a proof of concept study in um, a small number of women where we looked at NTX. So that's a biomarker for bone turnover. That was extremely encouraging. And then we got a follow-up grant from the NIH to do our pivotal trial, which is almost done. So explain a little bit about the science, about why that was significant. Yeah. So so maybe we should start with what is the way that we measure bone density? And there is um, the gold standard is something called DEXA scan, dual x-ray absorption. Um, so it's literally an x-ray of your hips and lumbar spine. They can also do other parts of the body. And they measure density, grams per centimeter cubed. And you're measured compared to a healthy 30-year-old. Um, 
And of course it's known that your density will go down over time, but compared to that is where we start to see increased risk. And so you mentioned osteopenia. Osteopenia is bone density with a T-score of minus one, so one standard deviation below this healthy normal to minus 2.5, and then osteoporosis is minus 2.5 or below. However, um, it takes time for bone density changes to show up on a DEXA scan. So many doctors will um, scan their patients every one to two years to look for changes. Well, as you're developing a product or you're seeing if a patient is responding to treatment, let's say with a pharmaceutical product, you wanna get an earlier read on that. And so NTX is a marker that you can measure in the blood or urine of bone resorption. So when your old bone cells are kind of sloughed away by the osteoclast, those cells break apart and um, the NTX is kind of the result of that in the blood. It's a peptide and you can measure that. And so if your NTX level goes down, potentially your bone resorption levels go down and that gives you an opportunity to build bone or slow the loss of bone. And so we saw this NTX result in the proof of concept study, which is very exciting. To explain a little bit more, bone is living, growing tissue that's both flexible and strong. We're constantly losing old bone, also called resorption, and forming new bone. Osteoporosis occurs when the amount of bone loss is greater than the amount of bone being formed. And the amount of the peptide NTX present in urine or blood reflects the amount of bone that's being broken down in real time. You know, it's interesting because that was one of the things I asked my doctor to look at when I was uh, going through the analysis, uh, a lot because of our yeah. conversations before. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's good to look at over time also. And you talked a little bit earlier about how the FDA and NIH were really focused on this because it's such an issue that is really ripe for a good intervention and solution. And so you have qualified, I believe, for what's called breakthrough designation. So can you talk right. a little bit about why that's important? Because one of the things you and I talked about earlier is that policies make a difference. Government decisions can make a difference. And so this one is one that I think where the government is putting its thumb on the scales a little bit because it feels that it's important. Right. So um, we were granted breakthrough device um, designation. And this is where the FDA um, grants this to products or companies that are working on something where there's very significant unmet need and where you have a reasonable chance of solving it. So um, they are kind of trying to give extra resources or support to companies in this field, uh, in, in this area where there's this, this need and chance of, um, of, of having efficacy. And what this means for our company is that we get really a faster or prioritized review. Uh, we get sprint discussions with the FDA up to monthly where we can say, we're planning to do this, or we're looking at this uh, potential approach. So we we just essentially have um, some access to the FDA in terms of getting feedback, but more importantly, um, a quicker turnaround time with their review. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Beyond the Paper Gown. 
And so getting back to the conversation about OsteoBoost, you know, you're walking and you put this on like a fanny pack. And so you get the vibration. And how long do you have to use it? What has your research been showing? Yeah, so our clinical trial is 30 minutes a day and as close to daily as possible. And that really brings up an interesting concept because, um, you know, even if you're doing high impact exercise, you know, how many women in their 50s, well, first of all, how many of them can still jog or do a lot of jumping? But if they can, are they doing it every day, right? And your bones need stimulation every day. So your bone metabolism, so we touched on it before, the resorption and bone cell creation is um, going to be in a more favorable state if you stimulate the bones, if you challenge the bones, and you need to do that as close to daily as possible. And so we believe that something that's really easy to use, you know, you put it on for 30 minutes, wear it, you know, while you're going for a walk, or you could be doing laundry or cooking, uh, you could be using, you know, a standing desk, uh, gardening, it's, it's pretty flexible, is a way that you can really give your bones that extra um, stimulation they need. Sure. And you said that there's a trial going on now. So where are you with the trial? And when do you anticipate it uh, being completed? So the pivotal trial is almost done. It's being conducted at University of Nebraska Medical Center. So we're about a month away. Um, And then, of course, we'll need to analyze the data. Uh, It's a sham controlled study. So there's a treatment group in a, uh, like a placebo group. Mm -hmm. And they've been well blinded. We've um, established that. So once we analyze the data, we will um, submit to the FDA. And our goal is to get a class two uh, medical device clearance as a prescription device. And so and what does that mean to the lay, lay audience? Yeah, it means that you would need a prescription from your doctor to get it. Your doctor would prescribe or hopefully has already prescribed a DEXA scan and to see if you qualify, if you have osteopenia. And then they would prescribe the device. So right now, most people are getting their bone density at the age of 65 whereas they're probably losing bone prior to that. And so should women and men be asking their physicians to get a bone density test earlier? And if so, how would that be reimbursed? Yeah, so I'm a big believer in you know knowledge is power. And uh, yes, Medicare pays for a bone density test for everyone at 65, and then I think it's every other year thereafter, or more of clinically relevant. Um, But I think a lot of savvier primary care doctors recognize that, you know, patients may become osteoporotic in their 50s. It is not unheard of. And um, it's easier to slow the loss of bone than to rebuild it. And so... um, you know, the earlier you know, the better. Now, I think some of the hesitation has been, well, let's say you've, you know, you have a woman who's about to go into menopause or just at the beginning of menopause, say they're 52, and they've listened to this podcast and they say to their doctor, I want to have a DEXA scan. What they might hear from the doctor is, well, you know, that's fine. It's not an unreasonable thing to do, but it's probably not that useful because we'll find out that you have osteopenia 
and then we'll tell you to exercise and get enough calcium and vitamin D. So rather than do that test, I'm telling you now, exercise and get enough calcium and vitamin D. <laughs> and we'll, we'll check again in a few years. Yeah. Um, it's, you could think of it like, you know, before there was Tamiflu, I, I'm quite sure that the rate of testing for flu went up when there was a proven treatment. And so, you know, the two go hand in hand. And um, I do encourage people to, to know their um, bone density status. Um, in fact, one of the things that I, in my kind of ideal world in the future, is that we check, uh, especially women, because this is more of a problem for them, but potentially men too, their bone density in their 30s. What is your peak bone density? Because if your peak bone density is below average, then when you lose bone, you're going to hit that sort of danger threshold earlier. And you have all these years to be putting extra emphasis on your exercise and nutrition and, and try to maximize your bone health. Does it matter what kind of densitometry is used? For example, those that you might find in a radiology practice versus what you might get at the gym, for example, because I notice that there's a lot more of those kinds of opportunities um, at some of the larger gyms. If this is something that you take seriously as an issue, as a health issue, my feeling is you want to be partnering with your healthcare practitioner. Also, it's very important for bone density. You know, the, the DEXA scan has some degree of error um, and variability. So for instance, very small people, petite people, the, the DEXA scores will be lower relative to their larger peers. But, but that is consistent over time and the machines are calibrated. And so it's highly recommended that you use, if at all possible, the same machine over time. So given that, I think you wanna to go to a you know, well-credentialed place, have your doctor be able to see it and, you know, be able to, to manage it over time sure. and see and with, the trends over time. And with respect to OsteoBoost, is there any specific measurement that someone said, okay, this is when I should start using it? Well, our indication for use in the trial is postmenopausal women with osteopenia. And okay. so assuming we get approved, that's the patients for whom it will be approved. And it's T-score, osteopenia defined T-score minus one to minus 2.5. Now, the mechanism of action of vibration is not limited to postmenopausal women with osteopenia. We have every reason to believe that it can be useful preventatively, it can be useful for osteoporosis, it can be useful for you know men as well. But the way things work with the FDA is you, you have to prove it. Because it was the largest group with this important unmet need, we focused on this group. And then as we grow as a company and have more resources, we plan to expand and do additional trials um, with other populations. But we um, have every reason to be hopeful that it would be effective in these other populations. And what could a patient expect? I mean, what kind of improvement are you really looking for? What's significant? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. We, When I first reach out to some potential scientific advisors uh, who have since gotten affiliated with the company, I said to them, it's like, 
what's clinically meaningful to you? And they said for a safe treatment, um, you know, like this, where you're not concerned with some of the really serious side effects of medication, they said, if I got 1% a year of improvement relative to sham, I would be happy. I would recommend this. So that is slightly less than the first-line medications. So first-line medications like bisphosphonates are, you know, maybe one and a half. It could be a little bit more. Now, of course, you have variation. You know, th these are means um, across the population. So we're hoping to, to be a, at that number or above. And I think our interim data, you know, is showing that that's pretty likely. And so remember, this is happening over a long period of time. So the average postmenopausal woman is losing 2 to 3% of her bone per year in the 10 years after menopause. So for the average woman, we'd be cutting that in half. So you can think of it as flattening the curve. Now, sure. some people may have gains, but for most people, this will still be an important reduction in the rate of bone loss. With any kind of intervention, we always want to know what the risks are. So have you identified any risks with this? We, um, of course, as with any you know high-quality clinical trial, we are tracking um, are there any adverse events? And so far, we have not seen any serious adverse events, nor would we have expected to. Um, we do have some patients who've complained of various lower back, you know, aches and pains. Some of those might be new, and so they are reviewed by a medical monitor. Uh, we've also had patients uh, say that they have improvement in lower back pain. Uh, vibration is a modality that is used for lower back pain, so that might be an added benefit, but it might not be a positive one for everyone. So, um, you know, th th there's variations in how we respond to all kinds of interventions. So I'm sure we'll have that as well. But sure. fortunately, we um, have every reason to believe that there's no concern for serious um, adverse events here. When do you anticipate it coming to market? Do you have a target date? If everything goes well with the FDA? I'd say early next year. If someone's listening to this and they're not perimenopausal or menopausal, but they're saying, okay, I'm worried about my bone density and I would love to just prevent all these fractures and things from happening, will they be able to access this device? Well, I have sort of two answers to that. Um, first of all, doctors can prescribe as they see fit generally, um, even off-label. Um, you know, we don't market that. Um, but we are planning um, probably about a year after our prescription device of coming out with a wellness or prevention device that would not require a prescription. So especially because it's such a safe intervention, we think that that, that, that makes sense. Great. And you're also developing an app to go along with this device. And you've done a lot in the tech space and such. Why was this company so appealing to you? So I you know, worked in tech, worked on a lot of tech consumer brands, Netscape, Yahoo, um, where, you, you know, SugarSync, where our products are used by millions of people. And we could solve problems for millions of people. And so when I switched to healthcare, it was very important to me to be able to have leverage, that we're using technology to leverage the solutions. I, I grew up in a family of doctors and 
there's something really special about that one-on-one doctor-patient relationship and how you impact one person's life. But there's also something special about being able to do something that touches a lot of people. It's really a democratization of, and we don't have unlimited access to physicians. Um, And so, um, so in general, that's what I was looking for when I was working on, looking for opportunities in health technology. And the more I looked into the issues around low bone density, um, it just became clear that this was an important unmet need and a place where I thought technology could make a difference. And then, of course, I'm personally interested. Um, uh, you know, I have osteopenia. Um, <laughs> I mentioned that I'm not very tall, five one and a half. My grandmother, <laughs> uh, I assume, had osteoporosis. She shrunk a lot. <laughs> My mom and I joke that uh, it's amazing that she didn't fracture, but I think she, she kind of invented the layered look. She, she was very padded. Uh, but, um, you yeah, know, this is, uh, I, I want to be able to stay strong and active um, for a long time. And so osteopenia and osteoporosis is something that could impact me personally, impact my family members. So um, it's personally meaningful to me. And also, I think I think we have a good chance of making a, a big difference here. And so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have had this opportunity. So we're about to wrap up. What did I not ask you that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, we would love to know of um, people who have interest in this, um, we really are trying to build a community around um, supporting uh, patients with low bone density. Um, you know, you can get on our waiting list for early access to the device. Um, How would they do that? Yeah, so our website, Bone Health Tech, www.bonehealthtech.com. You can sign up. Um, we, we love to hear from patients and, and get feedback. Um, but I, th- I think the most important thing I, I try to get out is knowledge is power. And knowing your bone density is relatively safe and cost effective. And then, you know, opens up the door for you to um, you know, be as, as mindful and active as you can. Terrific. Laura Yeesees, thank you so much for being on Beyond the Paper Gown today. Great information. My pleasure. Thanks, Mitzi. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here are some takeaways, including a bit of additional information about osteoporosis. We can build our bone mass up until about the age of 30, and then our bone mass declines starting at about age 35. The rate at which we lose bone depends on many factors. People who are at an increased risk of osteoporosis are women in menopause. In fact, women lose up to 20% of their bone density in the five to seven years after menopause. Other risk factors include those with smaller, thinner frames, those who smoke or consume alcohol, who have poor nutrition, or who take certain medications such as steroids or certain antidepressants known as SSRIs. If your mother or father broke their bones as an adult, you may be at risk for osteoporosis as well. People with osteoporosis can't feel their bones getting weaker, and many people don't know they have osteoporosis until they break a bone. 
a bone densitometry test or DEXA scan can help assess your risk for osteoporosis and guide your decision to take medication or try other ways of preventing bone loss, such as diet, exercise, and supplements, such as calcium and vitamin D. A new device called OsteoBoost uses vibration to stimulate bone growth and reduce bone loss. It is undergoing clinical trials in menopausal women, and results thus far have been promising. If those good results continue and the device is approved, it may be available through a doctor's prescription by early 2023. You know, it's never too early or too late to take care of your bones. Do you have a plan to build your bones? Please let us know at beyondthepapergown.com. Thank you for listening. I do hope you'll join us if you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe. For more information on this episode or for additional episodes, links, and comments, find us at beyondthepapergown.com or follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. This episode of Beyond the Paper Gown was produced by Patrick Shumbayati and Dr. Mitzi Krakow. Until next time, stay healthy and centered.